This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Have you heard this one before? person is overwhelmed and overworked, but can't seem to take the time off in a way that they desperately need, it's not always easy, right? But I'm going to share how you can do the work necessary to take that time. I'm also going to share the real life magic that can literally change the world. Let's beam in. It's the eighth episode of the first season of Discovery, Civis Pachum Parabellum? <laughs> Civis Pacum Parabellum. Wow. All right, let's try this one more time. Civis Pacum Parabellum. The USS Gagarin is under attack from six Klingon ships. Remember, we're in a war. Discovery swoops in to make the save, but they don't. They're overwhelmed, so Lorca makes a tough call and sends Discovery away. The Gagarin's gone. It's over. Black alert. Get us out of here. The Klingons' cloaking technology is letting them dominate every engagement. No warning and nothing but carnage. After the jump, Stamets stumbles out of the spore chamber. Stamets, if you remember, is the one that injected himself with tardigrade DNA and now plugs himself into the spore drive system to act as, well, pretty much as the navigator. Well, the effects are really starting to show. Feel all right, Lieutenant? What are you doing down here, Captain? Um, Tilly's still a cadet. Stolen valor! Whoops. Well, he snaps at her and storms off. In a meeting with an admiral, Lorca learns that Cole of House Corps of the Klingons is sharing cloaking technology with any house that will swear loyalty to him. They have a theory, though, and they believe that with some advanced sonar-type tech on the planet Pavo, they'll be able to detect cloaked ships. The sound is even broadcast into space by a towering crystal structure, a sort of naturally occurring transmitter. Michael Burnham, the security chief Ash Tyler, and First Officer Saru are on the planet to set this up. And Saru is not doing well. The planet has this constant buzz, this constant sound to it, and he's much more attuned to things like that. What appears to be sort of a Sort of an ethereal being sort of appears, kind of. Saru attempts to communicate with it. He believes that it's leading them somewhere, and so, well, they follow. Then we catch up with Cole. Laurel, you might remember Laurel. She's the one that sent Volk away some time ago and was serving Takuvma, helping to build his vision. Well, she is now trying to swear loyalty to Cole, but he is not having it. She offers her skill as an interrogator. But what I do have 
are a very particular set of skills. So he has her go to work on Admiral Cornwell, who is captured by them. She gets right to work, carrying terrifying looking stuff. She tells Cornwell to scream. And then she asks one question. What happens to those who Starfleet captures? Surprised that prisoners are treated humanely and not killed, she shocks Cornwell and us, the viewers, too. I wish to defect. Whoa! She's got an escape plan for him. She doesn't say anything, but Cornwell agrees to help out. On Pavo, Saru is treating this as a first contact situation, while Ash Tyler is worried that these people, these beings, might be hostile. Saru's able to connect with them on a surface level. They aren't able to fully communicate quite yet. Burnham explains that the fact they can communicate or connect at all changes the mission. They can't just go and hook up to the antenna now. This appears to be a sentient species, so they're under first contact protocol, just like Saru said, and they need to get their permission. And we can't borrow or alter their property without them understanding our objective and agreeing to it. In the mess hall, Tilly confronts Stamets about his attitude, and he admits that he's really not doing that well. One minute, I know where I am, who you are, and then what I know changes. It gets jumbled. The tardigrade DNA and the mycelial spore stuff is really messing with him. He hasn't told Dr. Culber yet, his husband, because Culber would either have to turn Stamets in, losing him, or help hide him, which would jeopardize his job. It's a lose-lose, and so instead, Stamets keeps it to himself. Tilly agrees to keep it quiet, but says that she's going to help him out. He nods, but he is far from reassured. Saru's still at it. He's been struggling to communicate with the Pavins. Is that what we're going to call them? Yeah, I think that's what we'll call them, Pavins. But he has made quite a discovery. <laughs> you see what I did there? Are they native to this planet? They are the planet. Okay, cool. So the entire planet has come together as a single symbiotic living being. Simple, right? It's a place of total peace and harmony. As they're sleeping, the Pavans connect. They almost meld with Saru, and he finds himself completely at peace afterwards. In the morning, he takes Burnham and Tyler's communicators away, and he destroys them. He tells them that they're going to stay here on Pavo now. Burnham freaks out, and he says, In time, you will experience this world as I do. You must remain open to it. Oh, no! They got Saru! Their promise of peace has completely seduced him. Well, the opposite of that is going on up in space. Laurel and Cornwell's escape is not going well. They get caught. Laurel tries to cover it up by having Cornwell attack her, but Laurel overpowers her and makes it look like she's dead. Or, wow, maybe she is dead. Laurel drags her body away, confident that Cole has bought her story, and he appears to. He accepts her vow of loyalty, puts red paint on her face because, well, I mean, that's, that's what he does. But then he calls her on her BS, and his guards haul her away. Tyler and Saru are talking. Tyler's acting as if he's interested in Saru's experience with the Pavins. Doesn't work for long, though. Your intentions are false. Tyler was stalling him the whole time. You see, Burnham left a while ago to get to the antenna, and Saru takes off after her. And dude can run! Despite the really corny, awkward special effects, he catches up to her, 
just as she starts to activate the transmitter. Now, for a guy that just connected to and found inner peace, he unleashes horrifying violence. He tosses Burnham around like a rag doll and starts beating on the transmitter. She phasers him, and it takes a few times to take him down. And then finally, finally he drops, and he stops attacking. The Pavans bring Ash Tyler to them, and they berate, the Pavans berate Saru for what he did. They eventually agree to let them use the transmitter. Discovery beams them up. Burnham visits Saru in sickbay. He apologizes, and Burnham kind of brushes it off. You weren't yourself. But he continues. But I was. He said he felt so free, so unafraid, and he'd never experienced that before. He was desperate to hold on to it. But using the transmitter does not turn out the way anyone had expected. The transmitter is now sending out a new signal limited to two subspace bands, ours and the Klingons. It's an invitation. The Pavans believe that bringing the Federation and the Klingons together will lead to peace. The episode ends with Cole's ship, the sarcophagus ship, warping into the system and Discovery getting ready to fight. Can I, can I be honest with you? I honestly didn't really care for this one as much as I remember. The Laurel and Cornwall stuff was fantastic, and I enjoyed the scenes on Discovery, but the, the Pavo stuff just, it just didn't hit the same as it did the last time I watched this. The idea of this episode is awesome, but I think they missed the mark on a few key parts. Come to Quark's Crisis Fun. Come right now. Don't walk. Run. Hey, Brent. Have you ever seen Babylon 5 before? Babylon 5? mean that show from the 90s? Yep. No. You want to watch it for the first time? Let's do it. Babylon 5 for the first time. Not a Star Trek podcast. We are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the first time. We're searching for Star Trek-like messages in the series and deciding if we should have watched it sooner. You can find us on Good Pods, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Babylon 5 for the first time. Not a Star Trek podcast. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Toulousma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on ElectroCast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. First, I mentioned it in the recap, but the effects to show how fast Saru could run were embarrassingly bad. They took me completely out of the episode. But that was really meant, like that whole thing was meant to give us more insight into Kelpians and how they work. If you remember from earlier Discovery episodes on Saru's home planet, Kaminar, 
his people, the Kelpians, they're hunted by the other species on the planet. So they've developed certain senses and instincts to protect them. They have these threat ganglia that pop out when they sense danger. They can hear really well and apparently can run super fast. They spent a chunk of time in this episode with him talking about all this. So, so I'm sure, despite the effects, this is going to be really important as the series continues. But then the other thing that's apparently going to be really important in this series is they, they are really going to push this Ash Tyler and Michael Burnham romance. I don't hate it, you know, but, but I mean, I guess, and maybe I'm asking too much here, but I'd appreciate it if the two Starfleet officers were a little more professional about it. Remember, fraternization compromises the integrity of authority in the chain of command. Now, I know, I know, this is a TV show, it creates drama and all that stuff, but still. I'll camp on the beach, watch the stars fall. Sounds perfect. Can I get you any more cheese with that? Hey, all that said, the acting was amazing in this episode. Doug Jones, who plays Saru, absolutely brought it. I'm so impressed with how much emotion he can express through all that makeup and the prosthetics. Super well done. Two more. Two more things on this one that I really dug. First, I am all here for the Cornwell and Laurel stuff. It totally looks like Cornwell is dead, but I've got a feeling. Got a feeling we're going to see more of her. And Cole's betrayal of Laurel was awesome. Not only because dude is a total jerk, but also because she's a master manipulator that's worked her way through a couple of leaders, and she totally got caught in the act. Takes one to know one. I love it. And finally, this episode is gorgeous. It looks so good. After so many years, decades of pretty cheesy-looking Star Trek, to see something as cinema quality as this, except for, you know, Usain Bolt Saru, is so exciting. In fact, even if you aren't into Discovery, mute this one, right? Just don't, don't even pay attention to what's happening, but just, just watch it. Just look at it. This is some high-quality TV. Oh, and last week, when I brought up this was going to be our next episode, I talked about this one and how it did, uh, you know, the needs of the many thing. Well, they said it. But it wasn't as big of a thing as I remember it being. Still, I'm always down for a callback to that question, right? Do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one? The needs of the many are worth fighting for, are worth dying for. So are the needs of the few or the one? Well, that that's going to be a discussion for another episode. Command codes verified. Civis pacem parabellum is Latin for let him who desires peace prepare for war. And that's what we're going to do, but not the war you might be thinking of. Peace is so important for everyone, but especially when people are depending on you, like when you're a leader, but you often have to work to create the space for that peace. And I'm going to talk about how to make that happen. I'm also going to share an approach to conflict resolution that the Pavins offer in this episode that you can use in all of your interactions, but to kick it all off, I'm going to offer the counterpoint to my story about a manager of mine passing away that I shared in the 65th episode of the podcast, TNG's The First Duty. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support this podcast. 
In the episode on TNG's The First Duty, I told the story of my manager and how she passed away unexpectedly. I was rocked to my core at just how quickly we got back to work, barely, barely even pausing to acknowledge or reflect on her passing. Like he often does, Captain Lorca presents a total counterpoint, but this time, he's not really wrong. You see, there are times, there are situations where it isn't appropriate to take time to grieve. Now, these situations should be very rare, but they will happen, and they could possibly happen to any of us. In this episode of Discovery, we open on an absolutely brutal battle against the Klingons. A Federation ship is lost, and the Discovery has no other option than to retreat. Crew is really upset by this, but Lorca steps in and he says, There will be time to grieve. This is not that time. Now, you might be thinking something like this won't apply to you. You lead the kitchen crew for the morning shift. What could possibly happen that I wouldn't have some time to grieve? Well, I used to be the management rep on my building safety committee. The prior rep and the chair had been pretty lax in their duties, and I wanted to help reinvigorate the committee and be sure that we were compliant with OSHA. For anyone out there international who doesn't know what OSHA is, it's a federal government agency in the U.S. that's responsible for setting and enforcing safe workplace conditions. Well, I was pretty confident that I could get people excited about safety. You are a nerd. But I wasn't sure how I was going to be compliant. Luckily, our local OSHA offered trainings to chairs and management reps, so, so we signed up. Now, this was an office building, right? The company I worked for leased it, and we were the only tenants in the building. These trainings, though, were open to everyone, so there was a real mix of industries and situations. The class kicked off with introductions, you know, as, as you do, and they had to say who we were, where we worked, and what were our common safety incidents. Oh, man, and I will. I will never forget the existential dread that came over me as each person introduced themselves and it got closer and closer to me. It was like, hi, I'm Kate and I work at a machine shop. Last week, dude drilled a hole through their hand. Or I'm Joe and I work at XYZ Paint Company. We had this guy slip and fall into a vat of paint. He totally drowned in that stuff. Stay away from me. Don't come any closer, you monster. <gasps> finally got to me. I was sweating. There was a lump in my throat the size of a honey crisp apple, and my mouth was as dry as the virgin sands outside of Arakeen on Arrakis. My desert, my Arrakis, my doom. I slowly opened my mouth, and I had the unmitigated gall to say, Hi, I'm Jeff from the YYZ company, and... Sometimes the carpet frays a little bit and people might trip on it sometimes. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Anyway, in a horrible way, I was reminded that even in the most droll of circumstances, you never know what's going to happen. And as a leader, you've got to be ready and able to respond appropriately. Now, my story has a happy ending, but not all of them do. And the difference between those endings is often your ability to tell if it's time to grieve yet or not. You see, we had a fire 
Yeah, those actually happen. They're not just made up by some extreme wing of the government to justify firefighting budgets and force people into awkward drills their entire lives. See, we were working and the alarms went off. People slowly, lackadaisically got up and started filtering to the doors. You know, the way we all kind of move when there's a fire drill. Well, I was doing the same until I smelled the smoke. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. I knew there was an important meeting going on in the conference room, and I imagine they thought this was a drill and were probably ignoring it. So I opened the door, told them it wasn't a drill, and they got out of there. But let's pretend I didn't smell the smoke, and no one opened the door to tell them to get out. This story could have gone a very, very different and tragic direction. And if it had, I and the other leaders in the organization would not have been able to stop and mourn for them. Not yet. We wouldn't be able to stop and cry, right? We wouldn't have that moment. We had hundreds of people who we needed to take care of, who needed our focused and undivided attention. If we didn't offer that, the casualties could have grown dramatically. When tragedy strikes, and it likely will, at least once, at least once in your career, you have to make a split-second decision on how you're going to react. In the story I shared in the first duty episode, there were no lives on the line. No one was in harm's way. We could stop. We could grieve. We could comfort each other. In the fire or whatever emergency or tragedy you encounter happens, if there are still lives on the line, you know that you can stop and grieve later after everyone is okay. The challenge here, though, is that a lot of so-called leaders in organizational cultures don't see it that way. You're here to work, not cry. There's no crying in baseball. Oh, you're sad? Take leave time, right? And this is me right now. This is me, Jeff Aiken, serving notice to all of those leaders and companies. You're wrong. People will not put up with this any longer. Give people the time. Give people the space to feel what they need to feel. Believe me. Your metrics, your numbers, all the non-human things that you might be prioritizing over people, it's cool, don't worry. You prioritize those people and all those things will actually look better for it. Now in this episode, after Saru is overtaken by the Pavins and Burnham is run off to the antenna, Tyler has to stall Saru to buy her time. He does a great job with it too. He has Saru open, leading questions about things he knows that he's going to want to talk about. It's great. The problem is, Saru dives in deep. He really wants to help Tyler out. He tells Saru that he can't imagine what peace would look like. He can't imagine letting go of his hate and his anger towards the Klingons. So when Saru drops this line, Tyler's all about it. Understanding requires a common frame of reference. Now, this is TV, right? So it totally backfires. It exposes Tyler and Burnham's plan. But that doesn't discount the genius and the wisdom in what Saru says. Without a common frame of reference, without points of agreement and a shared ability to communicate, you will never achieve understanding. A shared ability to communicate is similar to having a shared language or vocabulary. A place we often see a mismatch here is when IT developers meet with management and executives on projects. 
The developers speak a language based on their skill set and the solution developments that they're working on. Most people simply don't care about the technical crap. While managers and executives don't understand those skill sets or how to develop an IT solution, like, you know, the nuts and the bolts of it. Add to that that most managers don't actually understand the work their teams do, so even if they did get the developer's language, they aren't able to ask the right questions or explain the correct use cases. But this can present in smaller, less obvious ways too. Many upper-level managers speak in terms of KPIs or survey results or audit liabilities when most people they work with speak in terms of service delivery or customer service, you know, like more, more hands-on stuff. And these mismatches often lead to a lack of agreement. I remember managing a movie theater and two of the important metrics we used at the concession stand were our per cap and our CPC or cost per customer. Basically how much on average did a customer spend at the stand and how much did I pay in labor costs to get those customers served? High per cap, low CPC. That was the name of the game. To me, running numbers, those things make perfect sense. But the people working the concession stand? Yeah, we told them to upsell, suggestive sell to every single person. Keep your line shorter than three people. Pop fresh corn. Keep the area spotless. Can you see already where our points of agreement could start to mismatch here? I'm focused on metrics. They're focused on serving the customer. In that example, I happen to know their work pretty well. I would work in the concession stand pretty regularly, you know, keeping that CPC down. So I was able to speak their language and explain the metrics in a way they could understand. We agreed that we would prioritize fast and accurate service and use quick upsell techniques to keep things moving. Ultimately, we agreed on what the ideal customer experience looked like based on the measures that we had to hit. It worked out really well. But oftentimes, you're not going to know the work well enough to do that. You're not going to have worked shifts with them, for example. So how, how do you find that shared language or vocabulary to find points you can agree on? For Saru, it was simple. Hold a magic pavo rock and touch it at the same time. <laughs> well, sadly, we don't have any of those lying around. But there is some magic you can use. And that magic is one Simple word. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Nope, not that. No, that word is curiosity. Be curious. Leave your preconceived notions and your biases aside and just ask questions. Just listen. Use that superpower I've mentioned in a few episodes of this podcast, right? Go talk to the people you work with. Get to know them. Understand them. Understand how they see their work and do this by being curious. And this, this is the secret to effective conflict resolution. Most negative conflict happens when you think a thing and I think a different thing and neither of us are willing to accept any of what the other person is saying. But if you can find a shared vocabulary, agree on foundational points and be wildly curious, you'll hear what the other person is saying in a way where you may find common cause and be able to maybe not agree with their position, but you can understand why they feel the way they do. And when you can understand that, now you can have a real conversation. I'm going to use a very real example 
very real at least at the time of this recording, being being the better part of a year past the concerted efforts against COVID-19. Let's talk face masks. Without even getting into the you can't make me do nothing stuff that came out of all that, let's look at the early reactions. You see, some people believed that face masks were microdosing people with carbon dioxide. It says masks could trap exhaled carbon dioxide and cause us to breathe it back in. Deprive them of oxygen and slowly cause long-term damage to people, especially young, developing people like children. And then there were people who generally understood how face masks worked, and while they didn't enjoy it, they wore their masks in an effort to keep people healthy. Now, this conflict blew up to a point that we are, at this very moment, still feeling the impact from it. No one listened to anyone, and the situation continuously escalated. But imagine if way back, early 2020, imagine if people could just follow this model, if they could just be curious. If they were curious, and they listened to each other, they would have realized they agreed on a powerful foundational point. Both sides of that argument wanted to be healthy, and neither side of that argument wanted anyone to get sick. Now, you can talk about that, right? Instead of arguing about the way a face mask blocks water droplets versus the size of a virus and the size and the barrier of the mask, they could talk about how to keep people safe and healthy. It sounds so simple, but it honestly, it really works like this. I mean, we could be living in such a different world today if people were simply curious instead of aggressive and self-righteous. I'm not kidding here. Curiosity is true, real magic. This feels like a good point to shift to talking about peace. The peace that we all need. The peace that many leaders struggle to find. You know the scenario. So when I kick the episode off with, you're tired, you're burned out. All you want to do is sleep in a little bit and get some rest. I mean, travel and sightseeing would be cool, right? But just sleeping in for a few days, <laughs> that would be amazing. But you're so buried, you just can't take that time. Like how often have you sounded like this? I would give anything. For a second, a millisecond of peace. In the 53rd episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, Enterprise, Two Days and Two Nights, I went into a lot of detail on how time off is handled in different countries and the importance of taking time off. I talked about how the Center for Economic Policy and Research calls the United States the no-vacation nation because Americans take less time off than most any other industrialized nation. In that episode, I shared a really cool, easy, and effective method to manage your emails to minimize the overload when you come back from your time off. But today, now, I'm going to talk about the title of this episode, Civis Pachum Parabellum, which again means, Let he who desires peace prepare for war. So let's do it. Let's talk war. War! Going to war. You taking time off does not stop the work from coming in. So what do you do about that? Well, any good war is fought with a battle plan. Well, good war, that seems like a bit of an oxymoron, but you see where I'm going. But right out of the gate, I want you to know, generally speaking, this isn't like 
deciding you're going to take a month off on Monday and starting that on Tuesday. No, you're going to have to do some work. And that's what we're going to talk about. First thing you want to do is clear the battlefield. The people that normally give you work or that you have meetings with, you know, your, your frequent flyers and your contacts, reach out to them, let them know, Hey, from this date to this date, I'm going to be out. Do you need anything from me before then? Or can it wait till after I return at this point, two things are going to happen. First, you're going to get the list of important stuff you need to take care of. And second, those people are likely going to stop adding to that list. And if they don't, you can say, you know, I'm actually going to be out then and I'm working on this thing for you already. So which one do you need before I head out? Now that you know the boundaries and so do the other players, you can start prepping your team for your absence. Good clean fight here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Shake hands, guys. Be sure they know that you'll be out. They need to know the status of anything they're waiting on you for. Once they're ready, you have to prepare yourself. And this might be the most challenging part of your war for peace. You have to understand the real importance of the tasks you have. Most of them, like the vast majority of them, are routine and were covered in your previous prep. Some of your tasks are going to be urgent and maybe, maybe one or two of them are truly critical. So this is where you rely on the talent that you, as a leader, have been developing on your team. The people that can back you up on those urgent and critical tasks need to know that they're on point for them if they come up. Depending on the criticality of those critical tasks, they might even need to know how to get a hold of you too, you know, just in case. Once you've completed these things, you're set. Now, I just ran through them in a few minutes. It'll take more than that to go through these, and you will very likely run into challenges and resistance. That's why I called it war. But, but you do not, I repeat, do not let those stop you. You work through them, and when the time comes, you log off, you clock out, and you get out of there without looking back. Enjoy your time. Enjoy your peace and come back ready for anything. Right now, at the time this episode comes out, the social media landscape is kind of a mess. Just know you can still engage with me in the usual places, right? I'm still on Twitter at SFLA podcast and most all of the other social media at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in torture, Klingon style, A-K-I-N. But the best way to connect and engage with me is through email. Visit starfleetleadership.academy and join the mailing list. Not only will you get a super cool skill builder and performance appraisal template inspired by Saru, but you'll get an email from me every other week with insights and other cool stuff. Plus, you can just hit reply to those emails and interact with me and the team here at the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Now, computer... What are we going to watch next time? Working. Oh, this is going to be fun. We're going back to the animated series to a rather infamous episode. It's the seventh episode of the first season, The Infinite Vulcan. Yes, yes, this is the one with a 50-foot-tall Mr. Spock. Oh, I am looking forward to this one. But until then, ex-astra-scientia. 
Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? This is Lawrence Ross, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Lawrence Ross Show. Egomaniac. It's a two-hour weekly exploration into my mind. I also do sketches, celebrity impersonations. You're out of order! And I also do song parodies. Not too shabby for a blind guy. Not only are you visually impaired, but you are geographically impaired. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out on your favorite podcasting platform or listen to it here on Society 13 on Electrocast. Electric acid.